I've been telling you for a few weeks, maybe almost like a month now, that we're going to be sharing stories uh, coming up this fall. And uh, I wanted to kind of spend some time today talking um, from the Word, uh, the Bible, about how we can share our stories, okay? And if you've, if you've been around for a while, you know we've done this before, Family Bible Church. We want to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, I know some of you are sitting there right now, and you're thinking, well, he don't mean me, though. He means somebody else. But actually, I mean you. The person who's thinking, I don't mean you, that's who I mean. What is God doing in your life? Like, what's happening in your life, and how is God a part of that, or maybe not a part of that? Um, I wanted to share with you a scripture this morning. We're going to be working from the book of Acts today. I, I misspoke last week, and I said Acts 6, if you were here. It's actually Acts 26. But before you turn there, I want to share this little passage here out of Acts 1. Um, the book of Acts is known in two different ways by people in the church. One is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Because you'll remember when Peter was preaching uh, in his, his ministry, the Holy Spirit showed up like a, like a tornado and just blew through the town. And that's this holy wind. And the reality was that, you know, the church was born in that moment. Um, the church meaning us, the people of God, were empowered to proclaim the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And so some people call the book of Acts the book of, of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Other people call it the Acts of the Apostles because it's kind of a living history of what it looked like when God took hold of his people again. I want to remind you that the book of Acts in the Bible is situated after the first, uh, the four, four Gospels and before the epistles, okay? The epistles are letters. Chris told you that a couple weeks ago. Letters to the church. But first we have the Gospels of Jesus that come in the New Testament, right? The Old Testament are the promises that God has forthcoming. And then in Jesus, they're fulfilled. We have the Gospels about the showing up of the Son of God and how amazing it is. And then we have this letter called the book of Acts. It's actually part of the Gospel of Luke. It's a continuation of the story of the history of the church. And then we have the epistles. All these letters are written to the church on how we should be and who we should be and how we should function, how we should follow Jesus, how the early followers of Jesus followed him. And so the book of Acts is also known as the Acts of the Apostles or the followers of Jesus, right? The ones who are sent out by him. And I want to share with you this verse of Scripture where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, right? And, and this is what he says. But you, they're asking about the future. Like, what's going to happen, Jesus? What's next? You died. You're raised from the dead. Like, what's going on? And, and he says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. That sentence sets up the entire book of Acts in some way. That sentence begins the story of God working through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. He actually said this, if I didn't go to the Father, you wouldn't receive the Spirit, right? I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And, and that's the time we live in right now where God is coming to us wherever we are, as Terry said today, to empower us. We talk about that as leaders of this church. Who empowers the church? The Holy Spirit of God empowers the church. That's who empowers the church. And, uh, and we are part of that, that story as well. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me, as we always do, jumping into God's word, that he would reveal truth to us. This is his book written for his people, and we need him to understand it. So join me in prayer, if you would. Father, today, I thank you so much for your faithful presence to us. Lord, how often are we disobedient to you? How often are we not listening or looking or seeking or asking or loving or showing up? And yet, Lord, you are always there for us, loving us, 
teaching us and guiding us. I pray for every heart and mind that are here today, every person who, who came to the service today, that you would have a message for them, that it would not be my words, Father, but your words, the power of your Holy Spirit spoken into their soul, that they could know you more fully. Our goal today is not, Father, to make people who follow us, but that we would all collectively follow you, that somehow through your gift of your presence, we could become better followers of yours. We want to know you more fully. We want to pursue you more faithfully. And we want to see you more clearly, Lord. May you lead us from this day right here to eternity in your presence by your grace and power. And we ask that prayer in Jesus' almighty name. Amen. So the, we're going to look at Acts 26 now, if you would. I didn't look it up in the Bibles this morning because I got distracted. So it's somewhere, if somebody can find it. It's one of your Bibles. It's in every one of your Bibles, but Acts 26. I don't have the page number for you. And we're going to kind of study it. Now, I want to remind you a bit of what's happened. I'm not going to go through the whole thing of Acts here, but there's been a lot of revelation for the people of God. Like, you remember the 12 disciples who were following him, right? The apostles. And, and uh, you remember at the very beginning of Acts, like, you know, Judas had betrayed Jesus and they appointed Matthias. And, and then they were going to go do this thing. And then Peter has revelations about who God's trying to reach because Peter thinks that, like, you know, everyone who's not a Jew is dirty and therefore should, you know, not be reached. And God says, no, all my people are clean. And then, you know, there's this kind of lessons. And then Paul himself has this revelation uh, through the living God, right? Like, because Paul is known as Saul at the beginning of the book of Acts, and he's a persecutor of the church. He's a hater of God. Even though he thinks he's doing God's work, he's really hating God. And, and, and he's going to tell his story today. And we're going learn from how Paul tells his story, how we can share our story in the same way. And so that's where we find ourselves today. In Acts 26, we find the Apostle Paul now, who has come to know Jesus in a, in a, a pretty crazy predicament. I'll, I'll explain a little background as we get into Acts uh, 26.1, but this is what the deal is. He has requested to go see Caesar, Paul has, because he's a Roman citizen. He has a right standing, and he can, he, he's like a dual citizen. He, he's, he was a Pharisee and a holy uh, Jew. He was uh, faithful in that task to the point of persecuting Christians. And, and now in, in knowing Jesus, he believes that his call is to go and witness to the great and the small alike. And so he has requested a hearing with Caesar because he's wrongfully accused right? And instead of like trying to find a way out for himself, he's like, I'm going to appeal to the king. I'm going to appeal to the king. We're going to hear some of that story today. So today he's before a couple of local proconsuls, a local ruler who is deciding if there's any merit to the charges against the apostle Paul. Okay, so here we go. Acts 26 verse 1. It says, then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself right? I mean, so here Paul is, and he's before this, these rulers. And, and as a matter of fact, if you read in Acts 25, they kind of enter with great pomp and circumstance. There's a ceremony, and here's this prisoner. He's in chains. He's literally shackled in front of them, and there's this big, ornate thing, and they come out, and it says that they lounged in thrones before him, and they said, you may speak. And this is the moment Paul has been waiting for. Read with me what he says here. So Paul motioned with his hands and began his own defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with our Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg that you would listen to me carefully. Right away, you see that 
you know, Jesus said to the apostles, and Paul wasn't there, right? But he's like, I'm going to send you, and you're going to be my witnesses. And here is Paul being a witness for Christ, being a witness for God. And so he starts off, and he begins to tell his story. And this is the first thing, and we're gonna, I'm going to push this ahead, but we're going to talk about each one of these deals here. One more. There we go. Oh, yep, five easy steps. Here we go. First step, share your story. You know, Paul says, you know me. You know our people. And he begins to talk about his own history. Read in verse 4 with me. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, and they can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Right? He's saying, there are people who have seen me from birth to now. They know my story. They know who I am, and they can testify to my own holiness, my own zealous pursuit of God. They have known me for a long time in the strictest sense. Verse 6, and now it is because of my hope, listen, in what God has promised to our fathers that I stand here on trial today. This is the promise of the 12 tribes that the 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I want to take a real quick break on that, but then I want to talk about what Paul's doing in his beginning conversation, right? The controversy that, that Paul's been called forward on is the profession or the proclamation of resurrection. Like, that's the big hang-up that everyone has with Paul's gospel, is that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why they have him there on trial. Like, they're literally like, okay, you can say anything you want, but don't say that someone came back from the dead because that's not true. That's craziness. And, and Paul says here, you know the controversies we have in our faith, and you know the story of resurrection. You know what I'm here and I'm going to tell you about, and he's going to tell him more about that in a moment. But the first thing I want, and this is what's funny, because you, when you begin to think about, and that's what I'm trying to get to, how you share your story, some of you are afraid of your past. Some of you think that you come to know Jesus and you think that Jesus can only use you if you tell the story of who you are now with the, and, and hope to God, hope to God that no one would ever ask about the skeletons in your closet. The, the lie, and we say this all the time in Family Bible Church, is that if people knew me, they wouldn't love me anymore. The bigger lie is that if God knew me, he wouldn't love me anymore. But the gospel of Christ is not that you cleaned yourself up to the point of lovability before the God of all creation, but that before you loved him, he loved you. Mess and all. And Paul. Because, you know, Paul, when he says, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees, you know, later on, he says, that's excrement. Right? You know, he says, all my holiness was filth before God. So he's not saying, hey, you know how I've always been a good person, right? Yeah, not, not in the bragging way. He's saying it meant nothing apart from the promises of God. And maybe you are afraid to tell your story honestly. Maybe. Maybe you have that dark stuff in your past, and you're like, I know Jesus forgives. I know Jesus heals. But man, people, 
Nobody can know that thing. Nobody can know the truth of who I was. I don't know if you're like me in that way. Paul begins his story talking about who he is. And I don't know. I have things about my past that I'm uncomfortable with. And I have things that I've done that I'm uncomfortable with. I have things I've done that if, if, if it was put on a billboard or even put it right here on the screens this morning, I would just die of shame. I'd be so embarrassed and so filled with shame about my behavior in the past. And yet, I am learning to understand that God is not afraid of my past. That he is not embarrassed by Bill's story. I hope that you know that's true for you as well. When Paul tells his story, he begins by talking about who he was. The second thing that Paul does is he's talking to people that he he knows in some way. And so he's like, we have a shared history here, right? Like, you know me. I know you. You know my story. One of the ways that we deal with people that we're uncomfortable with is we kind of put them in another category, you know? We say, okay, so we're like this and they're like that. We're over here and they're over there. And, and us and them are completely different. And that helps us keep our sanity and thinking that we couldn't be like them. Think of anyone that you don't want to be associated with. That's what you would do. You would distance yourselves from them in some kind of like psychological gymnastics to say, I am not like that person. You think about people who are on death row. You think about someone who's abusive to their wife. You think about someone who's not as good of a parent as you are. You think of, you know, what, whatever it is in your mind, you think, well, that, they're, I'm better than that. That's not what Paul does in his story. He says, you know me. I know you. We're all the same. And sometimes when we tell our story, that kind of honesty can be difficult. To sit and look at people and realize that we have the same story. That we're not better than anyone else. That God loves us in spite of who we are. That's the gospel of Christ. The second thing is that there's a shared themes, these shared experiences they have, right? And he's talking about that. You know the controversies. You know the scandals that we face as followers of God. And he means the Jews and Gentiles alike, or the Jews and the Christians alike, I should say, not, you know, only the Jewish controversies. All right. Well, there's some ideas of some ways. Here we go. Check it out in verse 9. This is what Paul says. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, this one person. Paul has said his whole life against this one person, right? Verse 10. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I casted my vote against them. Paul's like, yes. Kill those Christians. 11. Many a time I went from the synagogue to one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. That means to take God's name in vain or to mock God or to disavow their relationship with him. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to pursue them. This is Paul's backstory, right? I mean, he hated Christians, and he hated Jesus to the point where he calls it an obsession against Christ. Who tells that part of their story? I, like you, was a hater of God. And you might go, well, I never really hated God, but you know what? Uh, Apathy toward the God who made you looks a lot like hatred. (laughs) You know? Uh, Saying to someone like, yeah, yeah, 
I know you're there, but you're not relevant to me, looks a lot like what love is not. All of us, all of us have that in us to stand opposed to God's will. So that's the first thing. Share your story. Be honest. Remember. And that's one thing, too, as believers in Christ, we can remember who we were before Jesus. It's a good exercise to not forget how much he has delivered us from ourselves, our circumstances, our, our past, our sin. God has delivered us, his people, or is delivering us. Verse 12. So here's where the story changed a little bit in the second set of how Paul tells his story comes in. The first principle is tell your story. The second principle is this. Remember your encounter with God, okay? We're going to hear Paul's encounter and talk about maybe how that looks. On one of those occasions, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commissioning of chief priests at about noon, O king. As I was on the road, I saw a light come from heaven that was brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell on the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? Interesting. And This is the response. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's Paul's encounter with God. While he believes he is doing God's work, while he is faithfully on the road to persecute another group of Christians, Jesus knocks him to his knees, blinds him and deafens him with his presence, and calls him by what? His name, Saul. Why are you doing this? Why, look what Jesus says, do you persecute me? Paul's story hinges in this moment of his life. Everything that he always thought he knew to be true changes, and he permanently changes direction in Christ. The gospel gets through. Here's what he says, verse 16, Jesus still speaking. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me. There it is again. And what I will show you in the future. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Paul's going to have trouble in his life. And I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by me in faith. Right? That is a tall order for the apostle Paul. Now, Paul wasn't one of the 12 that were Jesus' fanboys, right? I mean, he wasn't one of the groupies of Jesus. He didn't hang out with Jesus. He had heard about this stuff after the resurrection. He was angry because he was a Pharisee, and he wanted to stop it. And in this moment, he sees God for who he is. And there's a lot in this this little passage right here, but I want you to hear this. Jesus instinctively condemns the behavior. He doesn't passively say, you know, Saul, I know you've been trying to follow me, but you got a little bit wrong. He says, The world is following Satan, but you need to show them how to follow God. The implication is that you've been following Satan, but you need to show the world how to follow God. And that's why I've appeared to you today. That's why I've showed up in your life. Because you have gotten it wrong all these years. All these years. Many of us in the church have an experience, an encounter with God. Many people, and this is the hard thing, it's a hard thing for for believers, I'll tell you why, and it's a hard thing for non-believers, I'll tell you why. 
because personal testimony is irrefutable. If I experience something, you can't unconvince me that that happened to me. I know what I know. I know where I've been. I know what I've been through. And friends of mine who are non-believers say that's frustrating because it doesn't make sense to me, but that's because it didn't happen to you. When it happens to you, you're forever changed. It's a problem for unbelievers. Let me tell you something else. It's a problem for believers because sometimes believers in the church say, man, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I was raised in the church my whole life. I've believed in Jesus since I was a little kid. I've known him. He knows me. I don't have any doubt, but I have no profound encounter with God. I, ha- I have nothing, you know, like you see Paul, man. He says, the lights come on, the earth shakes, he collapses. Jesus says, get up, go, I'm sending you. It's like, it's like that's radical transformation. And then you go, but I, where's mine? I've been in church. I'm just, I'm just a faithful believer. My mom or my grandma or my dad or my grandpa taught me to believe in Jesus. We hear over and over again these stories of radical transformation, and we believe that that has to be the case. But it's not so. I would say this, that an encounter with God, your encounter with God, should have two distinct markers. The first is that it should be relational. It's not some kind of a mental ascent into some kind of a programmatic religion. That's actually what Paul came out of. Do you agree with all these laws? Then follow God, and you'll be okay. That's not what it's about. Paul says in his encounter with Jesus, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. They know each other for the first time in Paul's life. He knows God. He doesn't know about God. And so the encounter, first of all, is relational in nature. And and the second reality is this. It will be profound to you. It will be profound to you. That might mean that, you know, maybe you need to be knocked off of a horse, right, blinded for weeks and, you know, Maybe you need to have your tongue stop working for years while your wife is pregnant or for the year while your wife is pregnant. Maybe, maybe you need to have, uh, be thrown out into a desert. You know, uh, maybe you need to have all of your family and livestock destroyed for God to get your attention. Maybe there's something in your story that, but maybe not. Maybe it's profound to you that you've always known Christ. That's more miracle to me than anything. I'm, I'm amazed by people who have always believed not people who are radically converted from unbelief. Praise God. No matter what, though, when you're telling your story, you need to, this is what it becomes, the idea is to use God as a noun in your life, right? An actor, not a thing, not an object. What is God doing for you? How has God moved in your heart? How how are you being broken because of your own misunderstandings about God or the world or people around you. That's the part of the story we want to tell when we share our story. What did it look like to encounter God? All right. Picking it up. In verse 19, the third principle is this. Uh, sharing your journey with God. It kind of comes right on the heels of sharing your encounter with God because, see, Paul has this profound encounter, but then look what he does in 19. He turns immediately to the story of his life then. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision that came from heaven. First to those in Damascus, that's where he was heading, right? And then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by what they do. 21. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day 
And I stand here and testify to small and great alike. There, here's Paul's mission. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, proclaim light to his own people and also to the Gentiles. Paul says, since that moment, I've been professing Christ to others. And, and uh, here again, you know, you remember that Jesus said to Paul, he said, it's, I'm gonna protect you from Jews and Gentiles alike. He's like, you're gonna have trouble in your life. And Paul doesn't flake out on that. He's not like, and it's been awesome. You know, I've been following Jesus and it's been so easy. Like the roads are better and the meals are better and everything's going great. He's like, it's been hard, but God has never left me. He's like, it, it's, it's, it's been sleepless nights, but I've not wanted for anything. He's, he says here that, that God has been faithful keeping his promises. Look what it says. That is why they tried to seize me and tried to kill me. <laughs> I mean, it's like no joke for Paul. Like he's really, really, really at risk. And he tells that story honestly. Three things so far. Tell your story, your whole story, right? Honest to God, truth. Man, God loves truth. He loves truth. Like he, he only speaks truth. Tell, tell the truth about your story. Talk about how you encounter God, how, what that is for you, how, if, you know, how it's relational, if it's relational, what that looks like. But then be honest about your journey with him. I mean, we, we have this tendency to want to sugarcoat it all, you know what I mean? Especially in our culture, right? If you tell them it's hard, no one's going to want to do it, <laughs> you know? What garbage is that? Like, it's real. It's painful sometimes. It doesn't go right. Well, here, here's a good thing you can tell someone who you're sharing your story with. I don't know how that works. I'm confused about this part of my faith. I'm frustrated in this area of my life. Very few Christians talk that way because we feel like because we follow the God of all the answers, we should have all the answers. I don't find that in the Bible. I don't find that anywhere. God gives us wisdom. He is the author of truth. He is the one who is leading us forward. And therefore, we can be honest in our experience with God, our journey with God. As a matter of fact, the more honest you are, and I found this to be true, the more God will use you to further his good news. The more honest you can become about where you really are in your life. All right. So Paul shares that part of his story. Now, check this out. So I'm kind of killing the narrative here. If you want to read this, if you, I was going to have somebody read it straight through this morning. We read it straight through. It's, it's got a lot of drama in the text. And 24 is this point of drama. I don't know who this Festus dude is, but Festus seems like a little crazy, you know. And in the middle of Paul's conversation here, Festus jumps up out of his seat, and he interrupts Paul, and he says, You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you crazy. This is Festus' assessment. Paul says this, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. I am saying what is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it is not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And check out Agrippa's response here. Paul, do you think that in such a short time, you can persuade me to become a Christian. <laughs> you know, Paul's telling his story. 
He's like, I had this crazy encounter with the living God. He's raised from the dead. The Jesus that you say is dead is not dead. He's alive. I saw him with myself. He blinded me. He said, get up, walk, go testify. I've been doing it. I almost got killed. And now I'm standing before you. And Festus jumps up and says, you're nuts. And Paul says, I'm not nuts. You believe the prophets, don't you? And Agrippa, I love it. He says, Paul, do you expect me to become a Christian today? What do you think Paul's answer is? Yeah. You know what I think Paul's answer is? That's why I think he has me here. That, that's why I'm heading to Caesar. That's why I'm, I'm heading to Rome. Because the whole world is going to become Christian. They're going to believe the gospel of Jesus. The fourth truth about telling your story is expect a response. Expect a response. You tell your story, people will respond to it. But here's the thing. You have no control over what the response is nor should you have control of the response. Your, our job as being witnesses to Jesus is not to control the outcome for other people. Our job is to tell the truth and see what God does with truth. That's our job. And here you can see two extreme examples of what Paul's testimony brings out. One person says, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. And you know what? Festus can totally do that. That's his right. And someone else says, so what? You want me to believe this too? But he's thinking about it. He knows the story. He knows Paul. He knows Paul isn't known for being crazy. Maybe, you know, eager, <laughs> but not crazy. The truth is that people will respond when you tell your story, and we can't control the outcomes, and it might be positive, it might be negative. And I know for some of you, the fear of a negative response pushes you back. You say, I'm not going to tell the truth because they'll, well, they think of me, but you know what? The word, the Bible says that we should fear God more than men that we're on mission with God in this world. That's what Paul says here, right? Do you share your story and let people respond? Let them respond, you know? Let them respond, but expect a response, all right? Here's the final verse, 29. We're gonna end here, but here it is. Paul replies this way to that question. Do you think I should become a Christian in so short a time? Paul says this, short or long, I pray only that, I pray that, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today will become what I am except for my chains, right? He says, you want me to become a Christian too? And Paul says, my prayer for you is that you would become a Christian also except for these chains, that you would become a believer in the truth, that you would become a child of the light, that you would know the gospel, not that someone else has convinced you, but in your heart, that God would teach you the truth. And that's our fifth point in sharing our story. You have to share good news. You have to share some good news. And, and I know for some of you go, this is maybe the hardest part because you think it's some kind of mental construct. You think it's some kind of like ABC steps of evangelism. Here's what I have to do. I have to say these words. I have to go to this verse. I have to memorize these passages. Or I have to do these things. That's fundamentally not true because the good news, and I don't know how you heard it for the first time, but the good news for me was that someone sat across the table with me and said, it also is there for you. What is Jesus, salvation, heaven, eternity, goodness, light, purity, truth. It's there for you. And if you're like me and when you heard that, you go, right. Not only do I not believe that, I'm not sure I even want that. But the person that came and sat at my table and shared the gospel didn't follow a tract 
or a plan. He said it's available. It's available to you. There's a tragedy with many of us that we meet friends, we hang out, we get into conversations about spiritual matters accidentally most of the times, and we're starting to tell the truth. And at the end of the conversation, we don't look the person in the eye and say, you can too. You can too. The good news that I've experienced, you can experience too. The God that I've come to know, you can come to know too. And it's not about me getting you there. It's about he's right here right now, willing to do that. The good news is for everyone, and we ought to share it. We ought to at least offer it to people. Not in a programmatic way, just to say, here it is, man. Every Sunday, why do you think we do this? Why do you think we want people to come here? Why do you think we want to preach the gospel? Why do you think we want to open scriptures and hear truth from God's word? It's to follow Jesus, but here it is. It's that Christ died for you, that Christ died for me, and that in him is eternal life and light and hope and joy and a future, and it's amazing. And it's for you. Praise God. Join me in prayer if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for that today. That the gospel was brought to us where we were, as we were. And Lord, even today, where I am, as I am, the profound reality of your love and acceptance is too much to bear. I give you praise and glory for the good news. I pray that you would help us, maybe for the first time, to see our story through your eyes. And I pray today, Father, for everyone here, for everyone here, that we would be drawn near to you, that we would see more clearly what you've been doing and what you are doing, what you're going to do in our life. And I pray, Father, that if, if there are those that hear, and they hear all this today, they go, yeah, five steps, but man, I got step one, that's it. I have nothing beyond that because I don't think this God thing is real. I'm checked out. I don't believe it. I pray that you would manifest your truth in their heart for your glory and your kingdom and your purpose. And you know what, Father? The rest of us will just praise you and worship you for all eternity because that's our call, bearing witness to your truth. We love you so much, and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence and empowering of your word. And we pray, Father, that we would apply it and live it out well every day. In Jesus' name, amen.